First Corinthians, verse, chapter 13, verse 8 to 13. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Please be seated. And as you're seated, uh, let's pray together. Yeah, Father, we are contemplating uh, things that are above us and beyond us, things concerning eternity and what will happen at the return of your son, Jesus. And there is good, good, good things for us to consider in that. So I ask that you would, by your spirit, help make what can be so abstract and ethereal this morning very true and very real to our hearts, that we might enjoy Christ together as your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Jake. I'm part of the team. I'm going to add my welcome to Daniel's welcome. Uh, if you don't know me, by way of sort of um, sharing about myself, uh, I should tell you that I am a, a gear guy. Any gear guys or gear gals here this morning? I, I'm, I'm a gear guy. If you don't know what that is, let me just explain it for you. A gear guy or gal loves the accoutrements of an activity more than the activity itself. Right? Uh, in other words, I like buying things more than I like doing things. I'm a gear guy. My wife will confirm this. I love to buy things. And, and I found that the best activity that's most conducive to, to me being a gear guy is this thing called trail running. And maybe you trail run. And the thing about trail running, it's so, it's so great. Uh, you can go out and you can buy special water bottles that filter the water for you just by dipping it in the stream. You can go to the store and buy uh, different bars and gels and even little pouches of, of maple syrup uh, to eat and ingest on your run. You can even buy like a running vest to put all that stuff in. That's to say nothing of like the carbon fiber poles and, and the trail tested shoes and, and all the rest of the things you can buy to go trail running. I, I'm a gear guy. I am. And believe it or not, while many of these things might feel or sound indulgent, and my wife say they are all indulgent, some of these tools actually make running the race, going on the trek, much easier. Ascending a mountain, you can imagine, is greatly helped when you have food and water and hiking poles. And despite how thankful I am for all this gear, there comes a point in each race when the tools that got you to the finish line are no longer needed. The gear has done its job. It has played its role, and as the runner crosses that line, they shed their packs and their poles, and they celebrate that they have arrived. The tools have done their job. They are no longer needed. Spiritual gifts are for the Christian what, what necessary gear is for the trail runner. 
tools needed in the moment, in the, at the time, in that instance, but one day they will be obsolete, done away with. As Paul says, we saw it twice, right? They will pass away. See, if you're new this morning and you're just jumping into this series with us, we're in 1 Corinthians. We've been talking about spiritual gifts for the last I mean, few months. We've seen what they are. They're these grace gifts from God given to us, right? God himself coming to us to build up his church, to further his kingdom, right? We've also seen what they're not. They're not things to be wielded like weapons for our own status, our own standing in the community. They're not really ours at all, actually. It's God graciously giving us himself in the moment for his glory, We've been looking at spiritual gifts for the last few months. Now in chapter 13, Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church. And he's saying this, and we heard it last week. Your spiritual gifts, absent the fruit of the Spirit, primarily love, are actually useless and pointless. And tell me, church in Corinth, that you might actually not know the gospel at all. A noising gong. Clanging symbol, that's what Paul said. And so this week, Paul is zooming out. He's zooming out. And he's giving us a picture as to why, or reason as to why love is superior to spiritual gifts. Again, last week we saw that without love, our gifts are eternally worthless. And what's more, we saw that to love is not just to be nice or, or polite, like a good Canadian, Right? but it's to actually have this radical other-centeredness perfectly seen in Jesus. And so Paul is zooming out, and he's going to show us why love is a still more excellent way. And basically, he'll say this. Here's a spoiler. He'll say the tools that get you to the end of the race will no longer be needed when we get there because something better is waiting for us. Something more glorious is waiting for us. And to see what that is and to flesh this out for our life, I'm going to give us two points this morning. Two simple points to work through the text that YN read for us. First, our ending gifts. Second, his endless love. Are we awake this morning? Yes. No, we're not. First, our ending gifts. Second, his endless love. First, our ending gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Bible open. Read this with me. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, take one, grab one at the back. It's our gift to you to keep. Okay, keep that Bible if you need it. Put up your hand right now, and Asher will come by and give you one if you need one. We're going to read. It'll be on the screen. Verse 8 says this. Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We'll stop there. The, the love that never ends, we'll, we'll get to that, is contrasted as we've seen with, with that which will pass away or, or cease. Paul says. And Paul begins to list some gifts. Did you catch those? He says, prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues, they, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. When will this happen, Paul? Well, I'll tell you, verse 10, when the perfect comes, 
the partial will pass away. See, talk of the perfect, talk of of face to face, talk of being fully known can, can only be Paul referring to one thing. One thing. It's the return of Jesus. The coming back of King Jesus to bring his kingdom in full. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's the perfect to which he refers. So here's what he's saying. I'll summarize it for us. There is coming a day that these gifts of speech, right? Tongues, prophecy, even your good theological teaching and knowledge, all will be rendered useless. Why? Because when you're face-to-face with God, what is there to prophesy about? And when you're standing beside the risen Christ, what am I going to teach you about him? And why would I utter mysteries in tongues when I'm enjoying and glorying in the mystery of being in his kingdom when I see him face to face? These provisional gifts at that time when the perfect comes will pass away. Will pass away. Paul says, then you shall know fully, even as you have been fully known. So maybe thinking about running gear is not helpful to you, but let me give you another analogy. Instead, think of our gifts like like a flashlight in the dark. Or better yet, because I have four uh, small children, think of them like nightlights in your house. So my house is littered with nightlights. I, I, I think we own stock in whatever nightlight company exists. They get ripped out and thrown away and destroyed and stepped on. We have a lot of nightlights in our house. And every night as, as the sun sets, the nightlights go on. And so our children in the middle of the night, right, can find their way to the bathroom, right, can be comforted while they're scared. But what happens every single morning? Every single morning, at least while I've been alive, the sun has risen. And when the sun rises, nightlights are no longer needed. When, when the sun comes up, The candle is exposed for what it is, just a candle, simply mirroring or echoing or imaging the light. But when the sun rises, we no longer need it. They have no more use. Christ said, let's let's just stop here for a moment. Do you know that one day you will see Jesus, Jesus in all his glory, face to face? We could preach about this every Sunday and it would not be enough. We will see him in all his glory one day face to face. The thing that Abraham and and even Moses, who got the closest, and and Jacob and and, and Peter and, and everybody has longed to experience the risen Christ in his glory, we will experience that at the end of the age. That's what we believe. This is exactly what the Bible promises for all those who put their faith in Jesus. And so the Apostle John speaks about in Revelation 22, at the end of the age, all God's children, seeing his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, John sees, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. On that day when when I meet Jesus face to face, I will have no need of a laptop on which to write my sermons. I will have no need of this pulpit from which to exhort God's people. I will have no need of that office downstairs and that chair I sit in from which to counsel God's people. 
The partial will pass away when the perfect comes. Those gifts will fade, dissolve. And you can imagine, as I thought about that this week, I was, yes, excited, but also sad. And maybe you can relate to this. It frightens me, this thought, because like maybe some of you, I have a habit of making my gift my identity, of making my gift who I am. If I'm not welcomed into heaven as a teacher, I say, and I might not as well be welcomed at all. I, I don't know, and this could be a polarizing comment. This is, this is the most polarizing thing I'll, I'll say this morning, okay? I don't know if you've seen the new Rings of Power series. So if you're a nerd, you hate it. And if you're not a nerd, you love it. It's basically how it boils down. If you've read the books and you're kind of a nerd, you, you hate it. But, it. but if you haven't read the books, it's great. It's good TV. I love it. In that series, in the first episode, there's this scene where Galadriel, this elven warrior, is heading into the undying lands of the Valinor. I sound like such a nerd right now. But it's the undying lands of the Valinor. She's going there. She's with her elite fighting unit. And they have on this boat... Their, their armor on. And, and Valinor is basically like their, their heaven, essentially. And as they go, as they sail into this glory, like birds are singing and there's a choir somewhere and there's a beautiful light. As they head into this glory, the attendants on that boat begin to take off the armor of these warriors. Piece by piece by piece by piece. And eventually they're just standing there in, the, in these white robes on, on this boat. And finally, uh, the attendant comes to, to Galadriel and takes, takes her sword, or at least tries to take her sword from her grip. And maybe you know the scene. And she fights. <laughs> she doesn't want to let it go. It's been her tool. The thing for which she's used to defend and, and, and live out her purpose on Middle Earth. And so she fights. She doesn't want to drop the sword. She holds on to it. Finally, it's, it's pride from her hand. And even as they're about to enter the glory of Valinor, she looks back at her sword on the ground. It's who she is. What perspective eternity offers us? Does it not, Christ City? Spiritual gifts, like Galadriel's trusted sword, are a good and necessary thing as we join Christ in his mission. But Paul reminds us this morning, lest we confuse our giftedness with who we are, that one day all of these provisional gifts will pass away. We will no longer be needed. We'll each have to lay down our swords and our shields and our armor. This morning we encounter, as I did this week, a gentle reminder by the Holy Spirit that there is coming a day when I and you will lay down whatever partial and provisional gifts we've been given as we come face to face with love himself. There is there's nothing wrong with spiritual gifts. Next week, Paul will say, right, earnestly right, pursue love and, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. It's just that, to borrow from Paul's own analogy, while some spiritual gifts are appropriate for Christians who are now, in a way, children... They will be wholly inappropriate for the day of Christ's return and we enter adulthood, enter maturity, 
and give up uh, childish ways. And Paul's illustration with the mirror, likewise, is not to say that we cannot see God accurately now. Only that our knowledge right now of God is, is indirect. It is mediated. So not only does it force us to consider the temporal nature of our gifts, but, but, but this passage also forces us to have great humility in our exercising of them. A pastor and author, Zach Eswine, he wrote this. And I love this, this picture. He said that partial knowledge is the name of the street on which uh, each of us must have an address and build our lives. So he says this. This is his encouragement to us. Therefore, start each day with this admission regarding every person, bit of creation, circumstance that I encounter today. I must say to God, I am in the dark and I've been mentored to distort what sits before my eyes. We should have great humility in the exercising of our gifts. Because our provisional gifts will end, but Paul will say there is something that won't. And we turn there now. Point two, his endless love. Look back at your Bibles with me. Verse eight, Paul began our passage today by saying, love never ends. Love never ends. It sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds like really nice. Like, like something uh, uh, one lover would speak over another lover uh, dying in their arms in a romance novel. Love never ends. And then they would die and it would be a great ending to the story. It sounds nice. It sounds cute. But what, what is Paul saying? What, what is he getting at? See, maybe your Bible translates uh, ends, not as ends, but as, as fails. So some Bibles say, some translations say love never ends or love never fails. But I think the word ends there, I think what it's getting at is this idea of not falling apart. So, so we could, uh, with one commentator, say love never falls apart. It never falls apart. See, Paul lived his life in view of this big story. And if you're new to church, new to Christianity, new to the faith, this big story for Paul concludes with King Jesus returning to bring his kingdom in full. And when King Jesus returns, it's a testimony of all the scripture that you will either stand in Christ or fall in your sin. You'll either stand in Christ as his child or fall under the weight of your sin and the judgment of God. That's a testimony of the scriptures. You'll either stand in favor and be welcomed into his kingdom, or fall out of favor. And it's to this day, actually, of, of standing and falling that, that Paul was previously referring to in 1 Corinthians 10, right? Remember that? Of course you do. When Paul was warning the Corinthian church about their idolatry. And he said then, right? In verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, watch out, be careful, lest he fall. In this day of standing or falling, the, the book of Revelation pictures in Revelation 7 a great multitude of believers standing before Jesus in worship, standing before him in worship. But it also pictures a group of people 
those who right now have every reason to feel safe and secure outside of Jesus, that the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, it pictures them cowering in caves, crying out, who can stand? Who can stand? The prophets, Jesus, Paul, all testify to this day of standing or falling. A day that will be one of joy for those in Christ and one of terror for those in their sin. And so let's just pause again and just consider this morning, I think it would be pastorally irresponsible if I did not force us to consider this morning, do you know whether you will stand or fall at the return of Christ? It's a day of standing or falling. Paul says, love does not fall. And while we might be tempted to believe that he by saying love here means just being nice and kind and doing good deeds, we must not forget that for Paul and for Jesus, indeed for the whole Bible, we can only love with the love that we have received. See, earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul begins by saying this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but listen, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but listen, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Before Paul speaks of love as something we do, and he does speak of love as something we do, he first speaks of love as something we have. As we heard this morning already from 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. In Christ Jesus, he loved us. So love does not fall apart on the last day because the God who is love, who created us out of love, who loved us most preciously and clearly through sending his son in love to die on the cross in our place, will welcome us into his kingdom of love. In love. We are all longing for love. The, the modern day prophet, Taylor Swift, She has a new album out, by the way. It's apparently the, like, the best-selling album ever. Like, the songs are in like, the top ten. As the kids would say, it is fire. Am I using that right? It's lit. It's lit, it's fire, it slaps. I don't know if I'm saying bad things right now. And whether or not she's your cup of tea... Um, I think it's undeniable that Taylor Swift is a gifted lyricist and songwriter, and she speaks, I think, vulnerably about the spirit of our age and communicates to many of us what, what I think many of us are feeling, especially those outside the church. And in her new song, Bejeweled, which I listened to many times this week, Ask Paul, <laughs> she, she sings in that song about being taken advantage of in a relationship. And her answer to love not found is to go out and prove that she can still make the whole thing shimmer. I'm not going to sing this, but I'm going to read it to you. And there's nothing worse than like a 33-year-old white guy like reading Taylor Swift. And so let's just acknowledge that. But she says this. Familiarity breeds contempt. Don't put me in the basement. 
when I want the penthouse of your heart. Diamonds in my eyes, I polish up real, I polish up real nice. In the words, not of Taylor Swift, but of Christian psychiatrist and author Kurt Thompson, see, we are all born into this world looking for someone who is looking for you. We're all born into this world, isn't it true? Looking for someone who is looking for you. All of us, as Swift sings, are looking for the person whose face lights up at our arrival, who sees us and knows us, and so searching for that person, we polish ourselves up real nice, aiming to occupy the penthouse of their heart. Can I tell you something, Christ City? Notice that Paul says in verse 12, that at our face-to-face moment with God, then I shall know fully, but then look at this, even as I have been fully known. So for us, it's future. We shall know fully then, but for God, it's present. He knows you fully, completely, warts and all, now. He sees all your most shameful things. He knows your most terrible thoughts, your most evil actions. But if you're in Christ, you're in his beloved son Jesus, he looks at you and he sees you and he smiles upon you. This is the hope of the gospel of Christ City. This is the good news of Christianity that even now we are fully known in Christ by our loving Heavenly Father. See, the Christian story does not end with dystopian wastelands, but with the consummation of love, a marriage between bride, Jesus' church, and groom, Jesus himself. Love does not fall apart because it is a major character at every turn in the story, from beginning to today to the very last day. But let me also suggest, and church, if I can speak to you for a moment, Let me also suggest there is another way in which love does not fail or fall. When it comes to spiritual gifts, they are not only temporary and partial, but as the rest of the Bible actually makes clear, they can be copied. They can be copied. Spiritual gifts or powers can be duplicated by those outside the Christian community. If you remember in Egypt, right, the sorcerers the Egyptians have, they copy many of the gifts or the signs and wonders that Moses performs. They can be copied or duplicated. And so one author, D.A. Carson, he's a scholar, theologian, he says this. He says, the various spiritual gifts, as important as they are, and as highly as Paul values them, he says, can all be duplicated by pagans. But then he says, this quality of love cannot be. And so church, if I can speak to you, Here's the mistake we make in the church world. We say this. We think that we can determine if a church, sorry, if the spirit is present in a church, if spiritual gifts are being practiced. We think we can determine if the spirit is present in a church, if spiritual gifts are being practiced. And so again, to be clear, spiritual gifts are gifts. They're good, they're wonderful, they're awesome. We, we celebrate them. But, but gifts are not the infallible test of the spirit's presence in a church. Love is. That's a spirit-filled church. That's a church who welcomes and, 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 and delights in the work of the Holy Spirit, where love is present. So listen, I, I want us to pursue the gifts as a church. I want you and you and you and you to use the gifts God has given you to build up the body and further God's kingdom. But our greater desire, 
my greater desire, and Paul's, and Daniel's, and Heath's, our greater desire as a church is that the love of Christ, a love that we first have received, would be present among us, a love perfectly seen in Christ Jesus. That's our greatest desire. That's the still more excellent way that Paul ends chapter 12 with. See, see two centuries ago, um, the, uh, the pastor, theologian, Jonathan Edwards, who, who, by the way, saw a work of revival in his day, unlike, has been like even rivaled since. Jonathan Edwards was asked, he said, by, by people, like, what makes a church like heaven? And you can imagine these gifts are being used in his day. Like people are getting saved miraculously. There's these prophetic words and, and tongues and these other manifestations of the Spirit. Do you know what Edwards said? Well, of course you know it. It's the whole sermon's about it. He said, Love. What makes a church like heaven today are not these gifts, because these provisional gifts will pass away. It's love. Now think about your experience. I think about my experience. When I talk with people who are new to following Jesus, new to the church, get plugged into the family, occasionally I'll hear stories about spiritual gifts, like prophetic words being uttered or a great teaching that cut to their heart. But the thing that makes people stay the thing that makes the church unignorable, the thing that makes us a truly prophetic witness in the world is the love of Christ among us. Radical, other-centered, nonsensical love pictured and imaged and lived out in our midst. Not love vaguely conceived as being nice or polite, but radical other-centeredness. Love, as Paul puts it, that is patient and kind, it does not boast or envy, that is not arrogant or rude, that does not insist on its own way, nor is it irritable or resentful. Love that does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And when a church begins to love like that today, we are truly tasting in part what we will eat in full in our tomorrow. It's no wonder then that Paul concludes our text by saying this, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. See, faith will be transformed on that last day as it gives way to sight. And hope will be transformed as the assurance of things hoped for is realized. But love continues forever. It is love, 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 at the end of the day, which is the marker, not gifts, not knowledge, not prophecy, not tongues, of belonging to Christ. It is the church active in love that exemplifies Paul's still more excellent way. And it is because we believe this, that God has called us to exemplify radical, other-centered love, that we have an announcement to make today. We have an announcement to make today. And it's the worst kept secret in the whole world, and so don't be surprised. But at the core of our DNA at Christ City, as a network of neighborhood churches, is a deep commitment to planting churches. That's what we're about. If you've gone through our members' stuff, you know that we're about planting churches. It is a commitment to identifying and raising up leaders to send out, sending out our best people. It's a commitment to giving our time 
our energy and our finances as a church to churches other than our own, to works other than our own. It's a commitment to refusing to be occupied with ecclesial navel-gazing, thinking ourselves like a country club instead of the hospital that we are, and to recognize that God is doing something much bigger than us. We just want to play our part. So deeply convicted and challenged by the love Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13, in an effort to reach those who do not yet know Jesus with this love, in September 2023, we are planting a church. And we can cheer about that. We can cheer about that. I'll, I'll let this video tell you more about it. I'll come up after and say, say a few things. In Matthew 28, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world to establish churches, churches that would gather to worship together, churches that would sit under the instruction of God's word, and churches that would transform their neighborhoods through the good news of Jesus. Disciples on mission making disciples, churches on mission establishing churches. That's what Jesus taught us to do. 10 years ago, my wife and I moved to Surrey. And since then, God has been growing in us a love for the city and given us a burden for the people who live here. Our three kids were born here and they go to school here. We work and play in Surrey. Surrey is home. A number of years ago, Surrey changed its motto to the future lives here. Surrey is currently the fastest growing city in the province and is expected to be the largest city in BC by the year 2030. And yet, the vast majority of those people don't know Jesus. And so as Surrey grows, so does its need for more faithful, Christ-centered churches. God has placed a call on our lives to plant a new church in the Guilford Fleetwood neighborhood. In September 2013, we were sent out from Westside to plant Christ City Church. We had a vision to establish a network of neighborhood churches that were large enough to do ministry, but small enough to maintain community. In April of 2017, we planted Christ City Kitsilano. And in September of 2019, we planted Christ City East Vancouver. And it is our great joy to partner with Daniel Golan as we plant Christ City Surrey in September 2023. Daniel and his family have attended Christ City East Vancouver for the past three years, helping us to establish a neighborhood church in the Hastings Sunrise area. They have been a real blessing to us, and we're excited to send them out to plant Christ City Surrey. But it's not just us who are sending them out. Daniel is planting within the Christ City network of neighborhood churches, and so he'll have the support of all the churches so that he can plant in a healthy and sustainable way for him and his family. We want Christ City Surrey to be a countercultural community of people who come to know God and grow in their relationship with Him. We want families to be raised here. We want people to experience radical hospitality. We want lost people found. We want broken people restored. We want to see God glorified in the city of Surrey. As we work towards planting Christ City Surrey, would you consider partnering with us in the following ways? Firstly, would you pray for us? Pray that God would be raising up workers to go into the fields of Surrey to bring in the harvest. And pray that the Holy Spirit would go forth and prepare the hearts of those who will hear the good news of Jesus. Second, would you come? 
If you already live in Surrey, would you consider if God is calling you to join us in serving the city and people where God has placed you? Or maybe you don't live in Surrey, and yet you sense God is stirring in you a passion to be a part of something new. Would you prayerfully consider if God is calling you to partner with us on this mission? Lastly, would you give? Would you give sacrificially so that the fame and deeds of Jesus might be known and so that the mission of God might advance in Surrey? Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church, East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more, of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca.